The following message is made available for you by Emanuel Baptist Church in Mora, Minnesota. For more information, visit us online at www.emanuelmora.com. If you want a grown man to immediately go back to his childhood, bring him a toy from that time period in his life. I found that out firsthand uh, about 10 years ago or so when we visited my parents' house and my mom brought out this, this bucket that was full of toys and Jonah reached in and he pulled out this, this gray fighter jet. And it was like without even thinking about it, that Starscream. My mom had brought out our old Transformers and our old GoBots. And this was awesome. It not only had the Autobots and the Decepticons, but there was also Dinobots in there too. And if you were a child from that time, like Dinobots were super cool. Because they're dinosaurs that turn into robots. I mean, robots are cool, but when they're dinosaurs, here I am with my son. It's 1986 again, and the world is good. And the same thing happened to me the other day when I was watching this Netflix uh, series called The Toys That Made Us. And it's a show that goes back and talks about how uh, the toys in the 70s, 80s, and 90s uh, got popular and what they were. And this particular episode was about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And as soon as they started showing clips of the cartoon, man, I was 10 years old again. And I just thought about how many afternoons I came home from school and turned on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, along with all the other shows, DuckTales and Darkwing Duck and Rescue Rangers and all that sort of stuff. And then they started showing the, the, the toys again, and it just it took me back. And like I just, I just wanted my old party van back. And I wanted that, that retro mutagen ooze once again that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles had uh, formed from. And perhaps it's a generational thing, or maybe it's just an American culture thing. But we love going back uh, and remembering those things that we loved in childhood. There's this modern phenomenon right now of wanting to reboot all these old shows. And so, uh, you know, like Full House came back as, as Fuller House. There was another, uh, Boy Meets World was one of Julie and I's favorite shows growing up. And sure enough, they had to make a Girl Meets World. And, and even Cobra Kai is this, uh, is this uh, reboot of uh, the Karate Kid from the 1980s. And it's actually, it's actually quite good uh, for, a, for a reboot. And so these are just some of the uh, endless examples of reboots that continue to market to Gen Xers and Millennials. And perhaps it proves once again that the 80s and the 90s were the best time to grow up. Or, or perhaps it just proves that back in the 80s and 90s we didn't really have a life. And we just played with toys and watched television all day. Uh, but I think it goes deeper than that. These roots appeal to us because they give us an escape from our current reality and bring us mentally back to the so much simpler time of childhood. It was a time when you had no responsibilities. The only care that you had was whether or not mom was going to make chicken for the fourth time that week for supper. 
there's something very special about childhood. And when Jesus gives us the call to trust in him and to enter into his kingdom, and we receive that call, Jesus orders a reboot for our lives. And when we trust in him by faith, he does something completely new in our hearts. He gives us new affections. He gives us new desires. And we are a people of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. We are people who are no longer motivated by our own wills, but are rather enthralled by the beauty of God's grace and his mercy. And the problem is that we inevitably fall into the realization that that growth that we need in Christ is painfully slow. We are never where we want to be. It is so slow sometimes that we drift away from the faith without even realizing it. Sin gets in the way. We complicate things, or maybe we get bored, or maybe we get distracted. And before we knew it, or before we know it, we've turned the channel and, and we're we're living that old life again. Maybe with a Christian twist. But we're back in those old days. But Jesus is not satisfied for our stories to end like that. Jesus is telling us today that he means for our lives to be so much more. He wants more for us. We were made for far much more than what we settle for. So in Mark chapter 10, Jesus orders a reboot. And in that reboot, he calls us not to stop moving forward in our faith so that we grow. But he also calls us back to that childhood like faith. When we first trusted him and first depended on him. This morning, Jesus is calling you out of your stale spiritual adulthood and is opening the bin of your spiritual childhood and he is inviting you back in. So let's look at what he says here. In Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 13. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. Because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And after taking them in his arms, he laid hands on them and he blessed them. So we need a spiritual Jesus-driven reboot. And we can do that in, in uh, essentially uh, two ways. We need to first recognize our spiritual adulthood as a problem. Recognize our spiritual adulthood as a problem. One of the great ironies in life is that we spend our childhood longing for the day that we will become an adult... And then we spend our adult days longing to be a child once again. We're never a content people. When we were young, we wanted to be 
an adult because it meant complete independence. You could go where you want to go. You could do what you want to do. Spend your money the way that you wanted to spend it. Eat what you want to eat. The key word here is freedom and autonomy. But kids, I want to put a little secret. That freedom and autonomy isn't what you think it is. The more responsibility you pick up, the less freedom you have. So kids, you can dream about the day when you're going to be an adult, but don't rush to be there too quickly. Don't rush. It might seem counterintuitive, but when it comes to our life in Christ, we also need to guard ourselves against dreaming about growing up spiritually. Now, I don't mean that we shouldn't seek and work towards a more mature faith. We ought to daily, monthly, uh, annually, be striving towards being more and more like Christ through Bible study, prayer, worship, service. And in this sense, I don't see maturity and spiritual adulthood here as the same thing. When I say that we need to guard against dreaming about being a spiritual adult, I mean that we need to guard against that natural tendency to see spiritual adulthood in the same way that we see real, well, not spiritual adulthood, real, but you and I mean physical adulthood with freedom and absolute autonomy. We need to guard against the mindset that says, I have finally arrived. The section that we're in the Gospel of Mark, it continually presents the disciples in this perpetual state. They're arrogant. They're competitive. They are self-obsessed. They are prideful. They are jealous in every way imaginable. And it shows up chiefly here in verse 13. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. So we have to assume that these people that were bringing the children were, were the, uh, the children's parents who had heard of Jesus and wanted Jesus to bless their children. I mean, what, what parent wouldn't want Jesus to take notice of their child and bless them to help them have a future and a hope? But the disciples would have none of that, and they rebuked the parents for this. Now, a, a rebuke is a very strong and severe de uh, description of disapproval or criticism. And so why would the disciples do this? Were they just guarding Jesus' precious time? I can't think of any other time in the Gospels by which the disciples actively stepped in the way of someone coming to Jesus. But yet here these kids and these parents come to him and they want to block it. So the answer, I think, is how the culture of Jesus' day viewed children and what these children meant to the disciples. In Jesus' day, uh, children, uh, childhood was considered this interim period from birth till adulthood. And adulthood happened generally at the age of about 13. 
And there were very harsh social hierarchies that happened in Jesus' day. There was God, men, women, then children and, and servants or slaves. But even, even that, uh, there, there was sort of some uh, uh, gray area in there. Children like women were deprived of social standings. Uh, they were not viewed in any way the same way that children are viewed today. They were necessary because they would help society continue on. But they certainly weren't worth interacting with. They certainly weren't uh, someone that you would get down on a knee and talk to. They were generally in the way. And they were a nuisance. And as a product of the culture, the disciples probably shared in this understanding. So when these children come up to Jesus... And their parents want him to touch them. In their mind, this isn't worth Jesus' time. I mean, hadn't they, don't they have better things to do? I mean, who do these parents think they are bringing their children to the Lord of glory? Because the children uh, were who they socially were. And because the disciples were this inner circle with Jesus, they used this opportunity to make sure that the children, as well as their parents, know who is top dog. They want to make sure that these people know we are in with Jesus. They fall into the same attitude that they previously had, that they have exclusive rights to Jesus' authority, and their access to Jesus was an exclusive club. They're the gatekeepers of Jesus' grace. And this attitude and the mindset, uh, this is what someone who is, in a spirit, who is a spiritual adult, this is what their mindset typically is. This is the ugliness of spiritual adulthood. It is this radical amnesia. That every one of us suffers from. I'm often amazed at my own ability to take joy and solace in God's amazing grace to see who I was and, and change me and make me new and just delight in that. And yet moments later look at someone else as if they don't deserve that same grace. When you and I grow up spiritually, we forget that God's grace to us is totally undeserved. That it is completely unmerited. And we begin to live in this delusion that others must earn God's grace... And not only that, are undeserving of it. It shows up not in the big events in life. It shows up in the mundane things of every day. It shows up when you're sitting in traffic. And there's a big traffic jam. Or someone cuts you off. Or someone is bottlenecking everything. And you feel that pride welling up in you. It shows up when you see that person in the grocery store that you're not particularly fond of 
So you make sure that you go the other way. And if they see you, you might pick up your phone and pretend to text someone. It shows up at home when your spouse fails to meet your expectations. And you use a condescending tone toward them. It shows up when you watch the news. And you put yourself on a pedestal saying, boy, it sure is good that I'm not one of them. I made the unfortunate mistake of watching quite a bit of that Johnny Depp trial this week. What a dumpster fire. And I heard commentator after commentator saying, boy, if this trial has taught us anything, it should be glad that we're not them. Well, maybe, but what are you saying about yourself? It shows up with your interactions with your children when you dress them down for some innocent mistake or some childlike quality. And it happens in your head when you look down on anyone for any reason whatsoever. And we do it all the time. When we do such things, we communicate to them and to ourselves, I have arrived, and if you want to arrive, you need to be like me. Or we communicate, I am this, I am accepted by God, and you are not, because of fill in the blank. And Jesus will have none of that. Verse 14 says that when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. Indignant is an arousal to anger. The only other time we see Jesus angry in the, in the Gospels is when he's flipping tables. And here he is indignant at his own disciples. And when we come to the point of the disciples, which is like every day, Jesus is not pleased. And he's not pleased with that attitude, the mindset, and those behaviors, those words that are foreign to the kingdom of God. He is not looking for spiritual adults. He is looking for children. He is looking for spiritual Peter Pans who refuse to grow up. So we need to be on the hunt in our heart for where we see our lives moving to and whether or not we are acting age appropriately. We need to see spiritual adulthood as a problem. Second, we need to uh, return to spiritual adulthood. Return to spiritual adult. <clears throat> I've been in a lot of churches and I've lived in two small communities and I've recognized a toxic trait that has the potential of any organization or any town falling into, and it's called the good old boy system. Many of you already know what I'm talking about when I say the good old boy system. A good old boy, a good old boy system is one in which the community, which is a church or it's a civic city or county led by an informal group of, of uh, powerful people, that have been there forever and they yield their power typically for their own advantage rather than the advantage of the community. 
They live by the mantra of we've never done it that way before and we're never going to change in this sort of way. They have a disdain for anything that is new or inventive. And they typically have a very fierce commitment to protecting their power and their influence. And the disciples had made themselves into the good old boy of, uh, system of Jesus' team. And in many ways, we have joined them. But Jesus will not live by the old rules. He is not swayed by the old guard. In verse 14, he lays down the description of the kind of people he welcomes. Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. Now, there's a little debate on why Jesus would choose these children here. Uh, to, to come to him and why he would welcome them. And a common explanation is, well, you know, I mean, children are pure and they're, they're innocent and they are they're gentle. But if you even look into the context of what Jesus is saying here, it should make us dismiss that argument. Remember, Jesus is using children here not as a disclaimer about uh, the... Uh, literal children, but as a metaphor for those who would come to him. And if you want to make the argument that Jesus is saying this because children are innocent, pure, and gentle, I would invite you to go and spend a little bit of time with toddlers. These little monsters, though they're cute and great, will go into a room that you took an hour or two to clean and will have that place destroyed in two to five minutes. And they will not be sorry about it at all. A toddler will push you to your limit. They will challenge you beyond what most adults do. When I think of a toddler, cute may be one adjective. But innocent is not one that I typically ascribe to them. So the reason that Jesus takes these children and says what he says is because children, by definition, in that culture and in every single culture that has ever existed, is because they are small and they are insignificant in terms of the world. They are needy. They have no social status. They're utterly helpless. If children were to be received for their virtues of innocence and humility, then this whole Christian thing doesn't make any sense. Because Jesus would receive you because of who you are or certain personal qualities about yourself. If you adjust these qualities, dare I say, we don't even need Jesus. His death would be in vain. So these children are welcomed by Jesus, not for their virtues or not for their abilities, but rather for what they lack. They're powerless. They're helpless. They're simple. They're socially overlooked. And this little vignette here shows us the heart of Jesus. He condemns the proud, but he gives grace 
and rests his compassion on those who are humble. He goes on in verse 14 and 15. Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. Because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So to receive the kingdom of God like a child is to come with nothing. It is to come with no great prestige, with no wealth, no credits, no clout, no presumptions. It is to come to the table hungry with no gift for the guests, for, for the host. To receive the kingdom of God means admitting your weaknesses, admitting your inabilities. To receive the kingdom of God as a child is to look to Jesus and what he says in John chapter 15 when he says, you can do nothing without me. You see, as spiritual adults, though we might agree that we were once saved by grace, we tend to believe that there comes a point in which we've graduated. That once we have that diploma in our hands, it exempts us from our need for Jesus going forward. Grace, then, is no longer exciting. Mercy is no longer beautiful to us. And it shows in how we treat others. It shows in how we look at people who look different from us and talk different than us. It shows in our, in, in our clicking of our tongues and in our wagging of our heads. Ask yourself this. When was the last time you asked Jesus for mercy and grace and forgiveness? Paul Tripp once said, those who convince themselves that they deserve grace seldom ask for it because they think that they're okay. But you are not okay. You need the grace and the mercy of Jesus. You need this grace when the day is dark. You need this grace when times are going well. You can't do this on your own. You need Jesus. So in verse 16, after taking them in his arms, Jesus laid his hands on them and blessed them. And he will bless you too. For he said way back in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount. When he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. 
You know, that episode of the toys that made us immediately brought me back to being 10, <coughs> excuse me, 10 years old again. <clears throat> There's so much <clears throat> about that period of my life that I miss. And while it's good to, to look back and it's neat to see a bunch of shows rebooted, it's just nostalgia. That's all it is. But when we take an inventory of the many ways in which you and I have become like spiritual adults, it ought to shock us how few often we want to see the grace that made us. We owe our entire lives to the grace and the mercy that is found in Jesus Christ. And after all of this, have you become the person that Jesus has called you to be? Are you a grace-filled uh, sinner saved by grace, extending that grace to expand Jesus' kingdom? Or perhaps you're like me need to go back and once again become a child. Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. Because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these.